Testing one, two. Okay, cool. All right. All right. So it is about that time for study to begin. So we are on session three. We're not even technically on day one. We're just at the beginning of session three here. And so it gives us some suggestions to ease us in here. And so the uh, hymn that it suggests us to sing is Come to Calvary's Holy Mountain. So uh, we will go ahead and sing that together. It's, uh, you know, da 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 So here we go. Come to Calvary's holy mountain, sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows for you, for me, for all. In a full perpetual time, open when our
So starting with this session, we are going to be talking about Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Now, it's not listed in the text here for a Bible reading, but just to remind us, I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 23, verses 23 to 25, where the Feast of Trumpets is initiated by God. Did I get that down wrong? Well, I might have got that down wrong. Well, that's embarrassing. All right. <laughs> uh, we know that in the Bible, the Feast of Trumpets is one of the feasts that God proclaims. And the name Rosh Hashanah doesn't appear in the Bible. And what it means, though, is literally the head of the year, the new year. This was the beginning of the new year for the Israelites and for the ancient Hebrews, and it would be sounded forth with the blowing of the shofar, or the ram's horn. So hopefully we can all hear this. Around the room. 
The, the, B, the B part is the second sentence. And so it start where it says, and when the seventh month. And when the seventh month has come, the people the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed down their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah formally a cupbearer to the king in the Persian palace 
leads the people in a return to Jerusalem after their exile in Babylon. He leads in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, as told in the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, chapters 1 through 7, right up to where we began reading. The story of the people's spiritual rededication begins in chapter 7, verse 73, the book of the law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Why do you suppose that the people stood up for the reading? Respect for God. Respect and what else? Worship. Yeah. So in the divine service, uh, after the epistle, when I say, you know, please stand in honor of the Holy Gospel, why are we... I mean, the words are there in honor of the Holy Gospel, but how does standing signify honor or respect? Well, go ahead. I was going to say, like, when someone majestic or important enters the room, everyone usually rises, like a judge. Yeah, yeah, the judge or king. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Pastor Mulaney. I was going to say, every time I enter the room, everybody stands up. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's because the gospel reading, we hear usually directly the words of Jesus. That's not to say that the other parts of the Bible are not important. That's not true. But, you know, when... When a judge enters the room, everybody stands. Apparently when Pastor Moline enters the room, everybody stands. When the gospel is read, it's like Jesus is coming forward or like the, the ambassador of the king is coming forward to say the words of the king. So we stand in honor. And so here the people have been going back from their exile. They're rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And they bring out the book of the law of Moses the first five books of the Bible, and they're being read to the people. And in Babylon, they probably had bits and pieces of it. I mean, they, God held them together. But coming back, imagine if the church blew down in an ice storm and fell down, and we're still reading our Bibles at home, it's true, but then after a while, we rebuild the church and we come into service and we get to open up the Bible up at the altar, up at the lectern for the first time in a long time. Wouldn't you be filled with, with joy and excitement? Yeah. It's a sign of honor and reverence. In the, in, the ancient, in the ancient world, and you would hear this sometimes with Jesus, and he sat down to talk, or to teach them, right? Someone who is an authority, like a teacher or a priest or a rabbi, would sit and teach, or the king would sit and give judgment, and everybody else would stand, because A, they're the person in authority, so they get to sit down on the comfy chair, or do whatever they're doing, but also B, I'm not going to ask anybody's personal experience, but I can tell you when I was a kid, sometimes when I was sitting in the pew, I would find that perfect, amazingly comfy spot on the wooden pew. Sometimes my mind would drift off a little. But 
when you're standing at attention, I mean, you can still be tired, but you're more, you're more focused because the body is made to be you know, up and moving around. So it helps us focus our attention. So they were doing that out of respect and out of attention, you know. God sat, you know, God rested on the seventh day. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. So in the ancient world, sitting was a position of authority, whereas standing was a position of respect and honor. Wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus stand for the scriptures, though, and then sit down to teach? Yeah, more than likely, because, I mean... In your standing, you can project your voice a lot better than, you know, when you're sitting and compressing. And also out of reverence for the word. So yes, he more than likely would have stood and read the scriptures and then sat down to teach. So good question and thank you for asking that to make that clarification. Let's not let Pastor Poppy know that he can sit down and give the sermon. So... So, and then, question number two. It's asking us, what other similarities to our present form of worship do you note in verses 5 through 8 of chapter 8? So, let me find that real quick, and I'll just read it real fast so you can think about it. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7 has all those wonderful Bible names. All, the, all these guys and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. What sounds similar to what they were doing then to what we do now in church? Yeah. We have certain services where they come partway down the aisle to read the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we're all standing and facing the right. reader, the pastors. So whether we come out into the aisle in the midst of the people or I'm up at the lectern, we have, a, we have a book with the scriptures in it, and someone's reading. So and standing. And standing. So there's one similarity. What else is something that they did here that reminds you of what we do in the divine service or any of our other services that we have in the church? Yes? They praised God. They praised God. Not only praised God, in the sense of, you know, thank you, Lord, praise God. But also, it said, amen, amen, true, you know, so, so let it be. But they also use the word blessed God. So, go ahead, I'm sorry. And show reverence by bowing heads. Yeah, yeah, so we bow our heads often in prayer. And in some churches, they still do this, where bowing can be a slight bow, it can be a long bow, or it can be like fully, you know, prostrate on the ground. So however, however they're doing it, they are showing respect and deverence, or 
Temperance, sorry, right. I tongue twisted. Yes, I got tongue twisted there. To, to God. And they're praising God and they're blessing God. That's, that's something interesting to think about. Because we often say, you know, praise God, or sometimes when we read the Psalms or we sing a hymn, oh, bless the Lord my soul. Well, what does it really mean to bless? Someone. I mean, for God, when He blesses someone, things definitely happen. Yes. Well, I think when I'm blessing someone, I'm asking a prayer for them, a prayer for them, for uh, their well-being or for you know, for healing. Yeah. So I can, you know, if you're. You're helping me out, you know, making Bible study run by asking good questions and giving good responses. I can give you a pat on the back. I can say, thank you. I can say, I'm grateful to you. I can say, bless you. God bless you. It's the highest, it's like the highest form of praise because in the thing about it, in the beginning, God blessed creation and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it happened. Well, I mean, I'm not going to go home and take out my pennies and say, bless you pennies and become many, many more. And it's going to happen. I'm not God. But blessing, it's, it's, like the, it's almost like the highest form of gratitude and thanks we can, we can give. It's like a returning to God of what he gave us, yes. When you just said that, the way you said it, it was like, thank you. Yeah, but it, it but it's, you know, it, it's, it's almost more intense. It's like with everything we have. So, uh, let's see here. So, they heard the scriptures read to them. They blessed the Lord. They praised him. They worshiped. They bowed their heads. They said, amen, amen. And verse 8, they read from the book the law of God clearly, they being all the men and the Levites that are mentioned in verse 7. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. What is that, what is that click in your mind of something we do in, the, in church today? This is the word of the Lord. True. Yeah, so we just don't read the Bible and then say, you know, this is it, and then tell you to go home, or this is it, time for potluck. Pastors, or the vicar sometimes, gets up and preaches a sermon to explain and apply what God's Word says to you and to your life. So, even though certain forms may vary across time and culture, kind of like how Pastor Poppy was talking about religious observances yesterday in the Ash Wednesday sermon. They may vary, and obviously now, since Christ has died and risen, we don't offer animal sacrifices. That being said, we're essentially doing the same things that they did, right? We're hearing God's word, we're being taught God's word, 
and we praise his name for everything that he has done for us. All right, and then um, in question three, read verses 9 through 11. Again, we're in chapter 8. Verses 9 through 11. And then, what caused the people to weep as they heard the law? So, if someone would like to read chapter 8, verses 9 and 11 again, real quick. Hmm? Yeah, I believe that's where we left off. Sounds right. Verse 9. Mm-hmm. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. How far did you go? To 11. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Thank you. So, what caused the people to weep when they heard the law? Hmm? I'd say so. There was some. There was definitely some guilt there. Would you like so, to oh, go ahead? I'm sorry. So this happened um, as soon as they got back to the Holy Land. So it was like this, this happens. A big relief. You know, people eat people and something. Some ordeal is finally over. I mean, there was definitely probably that portion of it, kind of that release of we're rebuilding Jerusalem, we're hearing God's word in Jerusalem again, but. Um, Tears of joy. Yeah, part of it. Would you like to read Psalm 51, verse 17, please? So, the, the right sacrifices to God 
who's a contrite and broken spirit, someone who's repentant over their sin. And also, it says here, Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So when they're hearing the law for the first time in a long time in Jerusalem, there's probably the relief of being back, of rebuilding the city, all these things. But most importantly, they're weeping over their sin. Remember, they're coming back from exile. I don't think God uh, sent them to Babylon in an all-expenses-paid vacation because they were doing a, you know, such a great job of following the law. They were exiled because they had forsaken God and they had broken His commandments. And so here they are, and they're hearing the law. And the law, its weight is crushing them. The law is condemning them. And then, yeah. I think even today, as a pastor, when people come in to visit about something and they hear the law and they think about their sin, oftentimes they weep in the very same way. It's, a, it's just a reality of realizing the truth about ourselves that we are desperately in need of a Savior to forgive us. And uh, we oftentimes then weep too when we hear the gospel related to that also. Good transition to the next question. They're always stealing my thunder. Sorry. It's okay. All right, can we pick up uh, with verses 10 through 12? Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. of the cross 
and then the gospel, the good news of forgiveness comes in. Now these people, they didn't necessarily know the name Jesus. He hadn't been incarnate yet. He hadn't been born yet. But they knew the promise of a Savior. And they knew the words of the book of the law of Moses, which the first five books of the Bible, they do talk a lot about do this or else thou shalt not. But they also have sweet words of comfort. The Lord your God is gracious and merciful. Again and again, God tells his people that he is loving and compassionate and will forgive their sins. And so that's, that's something we hear a lot about Ash Wednesday, Lent, but I would think we hear it all year round. Some good, good law and gospel preaching and teaching. Any questions so far? Comments? Verse 12. Yeah. Where it says to send portions. Is that to give thanksgiving of what they've done? Uh, do you mean in verse 12? 12. 12. Send portions, yeah. They went to eat. Yeah, okay. I, I see what you're portions. talking Right. So, you know, go eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. Throw a party, right? You're throwing a party. And for anybody who can't be at the party, get some trays from the kitchen, put some leftovers, and send it to them too, because everybody needs to rejoice. So, I mean, there is a sense of thanksgiving, but it's also, it's also a message of, you know what? Don't keep this joy to yourself, because here are the people listening, but if someone's at home, or who knows, maybe someone's out, you know, building the wall, putting down the bricks, Make them a plate and give it to them. Don't, don't keep the joy to yourself. Do we keep the joy of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus to ourselves? Or do we go and share it? We're supposed to go and share it. Yeah, we go and share it. And also, too, it's been a little difficult to do uh, right now, but do the pastors, when they have someone in the hospital who shut in, do they just leave them there? Or do the pastors go and bring them the word and bring them the sacrament? Yeah. So what they're doing there, it looks slightly different. But again, it's in essence the same thing that we are doing, that we do, and that we experience. God's law reveals and condemns our sin, and we receive his forgiveness, and we rejoice because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the joy of the Lord is that His Son Jesus Christ died and rose on the died and rose again to forgive all of your sins, and in Him you have life. Okay. Hey, we made it to day two. Numbers chapter ten, verses one through ten.
Yeah, you want to start and then we'll just continue on. The Lord's both of us is saying, make two silver trumpets of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them to summoning the congregation and the bringing in. And those of lungs, all the congregations shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. When you blow an alarm, the tanks that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the tanks that are on the south side shall set out. The alarm is to be blown whenever they are set, whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statue throughout your generations. And when you go to war in the land against the adversity who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be. Thank you. What occasions come to your mind when you hear trumpets? Oh boy. What? Heralding the king. Heralding the king and what else? Easter. Easter. Okay. Judgment Day. Yeah. Times of great importance. Yeah, times of great importance. Occasionally we have the brass come into church and beautify the service with the sound of trumpets and other horns. So they usually sound, you know, a big deal. Um, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but they used to in military camps, they'd wake you up with the trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So trumpets and horns, however they're made, often signify important events, whether it's getting up or going to sleep, or beautifying the service, Easter, Judgment Day. Trumpets are just kind of always resounding in our ears. And trumpets made from ram's horn, horns were commonly used in Israel. Here in Numbers 10, we read of two special trumpets made of hammered silver. And what were those trumpets, the silver ones, what were they supposed to be used for? The signal to move on and to sound alarms. It was a form of communication, depending on how the, how the trumpet was blown, they would know, all right, the elders, the head of the clans, they're to get together, or were to move on, or were to not move on, or there's enemies approaching. But also, too, it mentions down the line, on the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts in the beginnings of your months, 
shall blow the trumpets over the burnt offerings and over the sacrifices and the peace offerings. And then here's something that's key. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Yeah. The archaeologically too, this is a really neat section because from the temple that existed at the time of Christ, a stone still exists that says this is the trumpeting place. Uh, and so it would have been the place where the trumpets were blown at the time of Christ. When the Romans burned down the temple and tore down the walls, this stone fell down to the ground underneath and uh, still exists today. You can see it in museums. Uh, and you can look it up on, online too if you want to see a picture of it. But um, it is a connection that we have archaeologically to the time of Christ that signifies the importance of the temple and things like that. Yeah. Thank you very much. And then it goes on to encourage us to go ahead and read Joshua chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 and verse 20 and then another part of, and then Judges but we'll, we'll get to Joshua first. shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and his fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Seven preheels bear seven trumpets of arms, horn, before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And then we're skipping all the way to verse 20. Who's the one doing the conquering? Who's the one doing the saving? God. 
and then has us go to Judges chapter 7, verses 15 through 22. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Gideon into your hands. <laughs> Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I think you might have jumped ahead a little bit. Chapter 7, verse 16. stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. Which verse? 22. 20. 22. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethsheta toward Zerah, as far as the border of Adam and Eloma by Tebet. Thank you. All right. So, how were the trumpets used by Gideon in this instance? Yeah. A bit, bit of a coordinated, uh, coordinated trick. So, they were all kind of around. And one of them blew the trumpets, and then everybody else blew the trumpets. So he was trying to kind of confuse them. But very important here, verse 22, when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against <coughs> all the army. Again, just like with Jericho, the priests are blowing the trumpets, and here with Gideon and his army, it's the army blowing the trumpets, but who's the one who actually makes something happen? God. So in the context both of Jericho and with Gideon, the sound of trumpets is also associated with the sound of victory. 
because, again, remember, going back to Numbers, the sound of the blowing trumpet reminds them, I am the Lord your God. And God promised he would be not against his people, but what? With them. And with them and for them. And he told them, I will go, I will go ahead of you and in front of you, and I will deliver them into your hands. So again, the trumpet sound, it's associated with Thanksgiving, it's associated with festival and sacrifice and forgiveness, and it's also associated with victory. But all this is tied up together that the Lord, the Lord is our God. And it's God what, who makes things happen, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's conquering enemies, whether it's being saved, whatever it is, God is the one who makes it happen. And even though he uses people and he uses us to do things in this world, just like uh, the Apostle Paul says later in the New Testament, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. It's God working through us, right? Imagine yourself as a person not on God's side during these conflicts. This is A under verse or under question seven. How would you how would the trumpet blast have affected you? <laughs> okay, so yeah, let's take it one at a time. Uh, in Jericho, when they were marching around for a couple days, how did the people of Jericho react at that point? They're used to it. Yeah, they made fun of them. They made fun of them. But when the walls came tumbling down, they became believers. Well, they became believers, but not necessarily in the good sense. They were believing that they were being defeated, and that's about it. And then for the men that Gideon was fighting against, the, 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 when the trumpets were blown, that they all of a sudden go, ah, yes, everything's clear now. What happened? I think they would have been unnerved and possibly rattled. Yeah, it, said, it even says the Lord set them in confusion, set them against each other. And then B says, imagine yourself as a believer, a person on God's side, and then after you hear these trumpets and you see what happens, what would you associate with the sound of a trumpet when God says, hey, go blow the trumpet? Victory. Yeah, that's right. Peace, victory. Right? And then, if uh, someone could go ahead and read Matthew 24, verse 31. I believe we are some, I believe the next reader is somewhere among the Eric children or are we a little further? Thank you. 
<coughs> and then we need to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. Life. 
And on the last day, when we hear the sound of the trumpets, is it a time to mourn and weep? Or is it a time to rejoice? Because we know the feast of the Lamb, better than any fat portions and sweet wine, is going to be coming. What do you think? Rejoice. Yeah. Well, it's about that time. This is as good a place to end it as any. So next time we pick up, we will be on session three, day three. So let us close together with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.